Well, good morning, everyone. Everyone who's here in the auditorium, everyone who's in our overflow room, everyone who is joining us online. We're really pleased to have you all with us. Uh, today is the second part of a message series we've started for the new year called Blessed. I don't know about you, but looking back at 2020 and looking forward to 2021, I have decided that this is going to be a year where I am going to be blessed. How about you? And you know, last week, we looked at the subject that God says, look, there's two paths you can go down, the path of life or the path of death, the path of blessings or the path of curses. Now he says, choose. You choose this day which one you will go down. And just in case you're a little bit dim, he says afterwards, therefore choose life. You know, not that one, that one. And so he tells us that we need to make the choice. We need to make a decision that we are going to walk in the blessings of God. And you know, in future weeks, we're going to look at a number of those different blessings, things that the Bible calls blessings that we need to walk in. And a lot of these blessings are things that you want added to your life, you know. You might want God to give you guidance about what you need to do in the future. You might want God to bless you with financial provision because you're suffering from lack just now. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and you're wanting God to give you the blessing of the peace of God that passes all understanding. These are all blessings that we can get. But today, today, I want to talk about something much more important than outward blessings. I want to talk about an inward blessing, and it's really important that we get this, because if you don't get this, you're going to doubt all of the other blessings as well. I've called this message today, blessed assurance, because one of the biggest blessings that God can give us is assurance of salvation. You know, you don't have to be a Christian long, and you certainly don't have to be a pastor long to come across Christians that doubt their salvation. They doubt that they're truly saved or they think that they were saved, but they've lost their salvation in some way, or they think that they were saved and they're still saved by the skin of their teeth, but they're pretty sure they're going to lose their salvation at some point. And when people are lacking total and complete assurance of salvation, it affects everything else. They think that God's not pleased with them, that God doesn't love them the way that He loves other people, that God might answer other people's prayers, but He's not going to answer their prayers. It's like it opens the door for a flood of doubts to come in to your life. It is really important if you are a Christian that you have full assurance of salvation, that you know for sure that you are saved, you know for sure that you're completely forgiven, you know for sure that God is your Father, Jesus is your Savior, and heaven is your eternal home. You know that for sure. If you're a believer in Jesus, it's really important for you to have full assurance of salvation. 
Now, if you're not truly saved, it's really important that you do not have full assurance of salvation and trick yourself into thinking you're something that you're not. And so, blessed assurance, this message is called, and I want to start with a verse from 2 Peter. And the reason I'm starting with this verse is because last year, in two different messages, I quoted this verse. And after quoting it, people did come and talk to me and say, like, I need to know that I'm all right with God. Um, And so I realized this is a subject we need to talk a little bit more about. And here's what the Apostle Peter says. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't say, my dear brothers and sisters, make every effort to save yourself. It doesn't say that. You cannot save yourself. None of us can. By grace are we saved, and we receive that grace through faith through believing in Jesus. So, he's not saying, do these things and you'll be saved. He's saying, if you are genuinely saved, if you are genuinely born again, if you have genuinely come into the family of God, then just make sure that you confirm that. Because if you don't confirm that, you're going to be open to doubts. Make every effort to confirm that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Now, called and chosen, a couple of things. First of all, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians and Bible teachers and theologians have had big debates over the the fact that we are chosen by God, right? And so some people say, did God choose us or did we choose God? And then some people say, well, The Bible says God chose us, so he must have chose us first before the foundation of the world. And then other people say, but but God so loved the whole world that he gave his son Jesus, so maybe God knew who was going to believe in him, and then he chose those ones. And then the first group say, but if he did it based on that, then he's choosing us based on something good we know. The debate goes on and on and on. And we ain't going to solve 2,000 years of theology here this morning in Edmonton, okay? So... I'll tell you what my approach is. If I read a passage and it challenges me to make a decision, like last week's passage, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Make a choice, make a decision. When I read a passage in the Bible challenging me to make a decision, I just take it at face value and I make the decision. And if I read a passage in the Bible that says my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, then I just take that at face value and believe that my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, okay? So God has called and chosen. It's like I can remember when I became a Christian. I can remember sitting in a church in the very, very back row and uh, sitting there on my own and hearing the gospel preached and hearing that, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross, to, to atone for my sins, to he rose again, all of that stuff. And as I was sitting there, I was not just intellectually listening to the words of the pastor, but I felt like I, felt like I was pinned to the seat 
totally pinned because I was listening with my outward ears to the words that he was saying, but in my heart, I knew that God was calling me to salvation. I could feel it. I knew it. This was real. I was being called to repent of my sins, to believe in Jesus, to go down a new path. God's calling and I knew I had to make a decision, and I did make a decision. And when I had the opportunity, if anyone would like to give their life to Jesus, I made a decision, and I put my hand up. I choose to believe in Jesus. And they led me in a prayer and everything else. And I thought, okay, today I chose to believe in Jesus. And then I read the Bible, and it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I'm thinking, I chose him, but Actually, he chose me. I'm among God. I was called and chosen by God. This is talking about, this verse is talking about an experience, an experience of salvation, of regeneration, of new birth, a work of God. Now, when he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm that you really are among those God has called and chosen, that's not so you'll go around anxious, biting your nails, wondering if you're really saved or not. Look at the last part of the verse. Do these things be eager to confirm it, and once you've confirmed it, once you've convinced yourself, once you are sure that you truly have put your trust in Christ as Savior, then you will never fall away. You will have a stability in your life. You will live in the blessing of assurance of salvation. Now, this the title of this message, Blessed Assurance, I'm sure you've realized, comes from an old hymn. And here's the, old, here's the first verse of the old hymn here. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Now look at these words. Heir of salvation. Do you know that you are an heir of salvation? That you have been purchased by God. See, a lot of people say, oh, I like this Christian stuff. Jesus sounds like a nice guy and all of that. I think I might add God to my life. That's not what the gospel is. It's not adding God to your life. The gospel is kind of like this. I, oh, by the way, whoever it was that anonymously bought me a new iPad and left it on my desk, thank you very much. It is a beauty. I will have a case, I'll put the case on next week so I don't do to it what I've done to every other iPad that I've ever had. Right, imagine this iPad is you and I'm God. I bought, I didn't buy this, somebody bought it for me, but imagine I purchased this, I bought it. The iPad now belongs to me. I own it, purchased by Martin. And you were purchased by God. Born of his spirit, washed, all your sins washed away by the shed blood of Jesus. This song is about the blessing of knowing for sure that you are saved, that you are God's possession, that you have been delivered from darkness to light, that you have been reborn, that you have been cleansed, that you are now a child of the living God. Full assurance of that. That's what this is all about. And so, I want to ask you some questions, and we're just going to put them up here on the screen for you to ask yourself, do you have full 
assurance of salvation. Do you ever doubt that you are truly saved? Do you ever like look at other Christians and think, like, I don't think I've got what they've got. Am I truly saved? Do you doubt that you will make it to heaven? Maybe you think, okay, I am truly saved, but I don't know if, I'm, if I can actually keep this up. I might go down the wrong path in one point in my life, and I might not make it to heaven or something like that. As if, like, you didn't save yourself, so you're not going to keep yourself either. Jesus has the power to save and the power to keep, but our trust must be in Christ alone. So, do you doubt that you will make it to heaven? Or how about this? Do you have any evidence of genuine salvation in your life? Because sometimes we are, we are much more aware of the evidence that we're sinners than we are of the evidence that God has made us saints. And so we look at all this stuff we're not good at and we doubt our salvation, but there are certain things that are the evidence of true saving faith. And if you look at that and you pass that test, you will have assurance of salvation. And if you have assurance, you will never fall, the Bible says. And so, now, just before we go any further, I just want to repeat something I said. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have put your trust in Him, then it is important that you have full assurance of salvation. However, if you just think you're a Christian, but you're actually not, and you're going about thinking, I'll get to heaven, everything will be, it is not good to have false assurance of salvation if you have not truly and fully trusted in Christ as Savior. That's a deception. You're self-deceived. And maybe the sooner you know you're not saved, the better, so you can put things right. Okay, and so we're going to look at a few verses, first of all, about this situation. And as we go through these verses, I, I know what's going to go through some of your mind. You're going to think, oh boy, I thought this message was about assurance of salvation. I'm doubting my salvation more and more with every verse that goes up. So let me tell you a few things. There's kind of three reasons why I am, uh, why I am showing these verses. One is that, any, that people who struggle, that don't have full assurance of salvation, that they doubt their salvation, Usually it's because they've read one of these verses and they wonder if it's about them and they're worried about it. The second reason is that these verses actually reveal to us what the difference is between someone who is, a, is truly saved, has truly put their faith in Christ, and someone who's just kind of like is hanging about with Christians and going to church and all of that kind of stuff. They show us a difference. And the third reason is if you are bothered, as we go, we're just going to read seven verses, as we go through them, if you are bothered by these verses, if they make you uncomfortable, that is actually a good sign. Because if you, have, if you are concerned about the state of your own soul, that's a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. If the Holy Spirit wasn't at work in your life, you wouldn't care about God. You wouldn't care about the state of your soul. You wouldn't care about any of that. The Bible's clear that when, if we were left to our own devices, 
We wouldn't be interested in God. No one would seek after God. No, not one, the Bible says. And so the fact that you have any concern about the state of your soul is a good thing. It means that there is a desire within you birthed by the Holy Spirit to be right with God. So let's quickly have a look at these seven verses. Galatians, first of all. Galatians 2.4. Look what Paul said. I met with them privately. That's the other apostles. I met with them privately and confidentially because false brothers had been secretly smuggled into our church meetings. I wonder if there's somebody here today who has been secretly smuggled into our meetings. I mean, I could tell you loads of stories. I remember when I led a church back in Scotland, eh, a local witch's coven infiltrated our church. And they all came in pretending they didn't know each other. One sat over there, one sat up there, one sat down there, and so on. And they came in to infiltrate our church, to put curses on us and all of this kind of stuff. One girl sat every week and drew pentagrams over and over and over as I was preaching. I thought she was taking notes. I thought she was enjoying the sermon. It was the people behind me told me that. Then we were on to them and we... The guy in charge, the old warlock, he tried to hypnotize me one week, tried to hypnotize me. Looked right in my, I mean, I could feel it. And he's saying, you will make me a leader in your church. And I'm saying, no, I won't in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's amazing. You wouldn't believe it. I have a friend in England, a pedophile ring infiltrated his church all pretended they didn't know each other, arrived. People, there are bad people in the world. There are bad dudes out there. Look, had been secretly smuggled in, false brothers. They were sent to spy on the wonderful liberty and freedom that we have in Jesus, the anointed one. Their agenda was to bring us back into the legalistic bondage of religion. No, have everything should be done this way. Don't have people's hearts being set free and being changed. Look at the next verse. Same thing, 2 Peter 1. In the past, there arose false prophets among God's people, just as there will continue to be false teachers who will secretly infiltrate in your midst to divide you, bringing with them their destructive heresies. They will even deny the master who paid the price for them, bringing swift destruction. I'll tell you, there's false teaching. Just go on social media. There's false teaching everywhere out there. There's people that will tell you that you can live any way you want and still be a Christian because we're saved by grace. Well, they don't understand grace because grace isn't, ah, oh, I'm not, God, God isn't saying, I'm not bothered about sin, live any way you want. That's not what grace is. Grace is saying your sin is so serious it will take you to hell, but I will forgive it. Like, if sin wasn't bad, you don't need forgiveness. You only need forgiveness because something's bad. But there's people, live any way you want, it doesn't matter, blah, blah, and they will come in, and eventually you listen to them, you follow their writings, you just listen to what they're saying. Eventually, they will even deny the Lord who purchased them. Before you know it, Jesus was just some cool guru someplace, you know, some hippie guru or something. Look at the next verse, number three. 
2 Corinthians, I have faced danger from false brothers, from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. You know, if you've never been in church leadership, you won't know this. You won't know the burden that church leaders carry for their congregation and for the people in their congregation and over the state of people's souls and, and over the fact that we don't want to judge anybody, but sometimes a false brothers can come. We had a guy that came to our church in the UK. He came. He apparently had been a Christian for a long time. He knew all the jargon. He knew all the people. I know the pastor of that church, and I know this church here, and all of that. And he, everything looked good, and he got involved really quickly in the church. And before you knew it, he had a position in the church. Then I began to be bothered, because I noticed during worship times and prayer times, this guy was completely unmoved. It was like his heart wasn't touched at all. He knew all the jargon. Nothing. I mean, it was like nothing. And um, then we discovered he was basically a serial adulterer who went to a church for a while until he could find a woman he could have an affair with. And then once it all came to light, he would leave, move to another area, and find a new church to do the same thing. And he had done it in church after church after church. Look at this. He says, Look, Paul, uh, Paul's saying, I've had sleepless nights for the church because I know that some believers are not true believers. So there's bad dudes. You're not one of them because if you were, you would know it. These people know that they are not Christians. They know that they are fake, okay? Now, let's read on more. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know what this verse is saying? Not everyone who says they're a Christian are, are really a Christian. Not everyone who claims to be saved is actually saved. Not everyone who says Jesus is their Lord really has made Jesus the Lord of their life. And this isn't just talking about individuals. Look at the next verse. The next verse, he says this, on judgment day, what's the next word? Shout it out. It always amazes me when people say, oh, I heard about a famous televangelist that committed a sin and, and now I don't know what to believe anymore. Well, why don't you believe Jesus? He said there would be a lot of crooks and, and hucksters out there, didn't he? He said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? But I will reply, I never knew you. Not I knew you once and then you walked away. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Not only is it true that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is, but not everyone who's, who's a preacher or who works in a church or who, who uh, claims to have a ministry is actually even genuinely saved. This is a little bit sobering, is it not? Look at the next verse. Look at this one. 2 Corinthians 5. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. Paul is writing 
to the church in Corinth. He is not writing to unbelievers. He is writing to believers. Y yes, we will be judged in a different way. We will not be judged for our salvation. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved by God's grace received through faith. But even believers one day will all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Now, I know that when I die, we sang the song, On That Day When My Strength Is Failing, the end is near and my time has come. I know that when I go to heaven, I'm going to sing his praise unending. I know that I'm going to spend eternity with my Savior because I have full assurance of salvation. So I'm not worried about we shall all stand before Christ to be judged. I'm not worried that he's going to go ching, ching, and the trap door is going to open up below me. I'm not worried about that because I'm saved by what Jesus did for me. Hey, but I don't want to be embarrassed. Sometimes I'll think, oh my goodness, I'll do something or say something. I'll think, oh my goodness, I'm going to see that one day and be embarrassed and ashamed. Look at what this verse says. I think it's 1 John. <clears throat> it says, now little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I, that's a blessing. I do not want to be ashamed before the Lord when I see him face to face. I want to have confidence, and my confidence cannot be in me, because if it was left up to me, I would be a big failure. But if my confidence is in Christ, and in Christ alone, and in God's amazing grace, and in the finished work of the cross, then I can be confident that God will receive me. Now, if any of these seven verses we just read bothered you, if you're bothered about the fact that there are fake Christians who aren't real Christians and they know they're not, if you're bothered about the fact that, that there are some people who actually think they're Christians, but they've never truly trusted Christ for salvation and had their heart changed, if you're bothered about the fact that there are some preachers that aren't even saved and people who claim to be in ministry, if you're bothered about the fact that we'll all have to give an account one day before the Lord and you don't want to be ashamed, if these verses bother you, that is a good sign. If you've sat through all seven of those verses yawning, I wish you would shut up and go home, then I would be deeply concerned for the state of your soul. If you don't even care whether you go to heaven or hell or not, there's something seriously wrong. But if you are bothered and if you're saying, I want to make sure, like, have I really put my faith in Jesus? Have I really been? I want to make sure. Church, that's a good sign. God is stirring your heart. God is at work in you. You are seeking to work your own salvation out with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to do His, His good pleasure. What should we do about all of these things then, all these verses? What should we do? Well, let's have a look at the things that we should do. Put up the next slide, please. 
What should you do to have full assurance of salvation? The Bible tells us, examine your faith and examine your heart. If you examine your faith and you come to the conclusion that your faith is in your own ability to please God, or your faith is in, if I could just work hard enough and attend church enough or something like that, then that will please God. If your faith is in yourself, if your faith is in any other human being, if your faith is even in a set of doctrines or beliefs, then your faith is in the wrong place. And you, as you examine your faith, you will realize you fail the test. But if I was to say to you, what is your faith in? How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that God is your Father and heaven is your home? If you said, my faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone, there is nothing I could do to save myself, and if it was left to me, I would blow the whole thing. I was, a, I was totally lost, a lost sinner. But Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and bore my sins and rose again from the dead and I have put my trust in him. My faith is in Christ and Christ alone and his finished work. Then you've passed the faith test. And what about your heart? Examine your heart. See if your heart is, if your heart is filled with idols oh, I would love to do this, and that's what I want. And God has no place in your heart. If your heart is filled with selfishness and what you want, and this and that and the next thing, with no reference to God, no desire for God, no hunger for God, then I would be concerned about that. But if in your heart you're hungry for God, you're hungry for the things of God, and you're bothered because you don't live up to it, it's like, Maybe you don't read your Bible, but deep down inside you wish you did. You want to. You're angry with yourself. You have a hunger for the Word of God. That's a good sign. You're like the Apostle Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do do are the things I don't want to do, you know. A change has taken place in your heart. Let's look at these verses. Let's look at the next slide. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. Now, it doesn't say go about and examine everybody else. It says examine yourself to see whether your faith is genuine. This is a really important verse. That means there's genuine faith and there's fake faith. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. If you fail the test, if you're trying to be a Christian and obey a, rel a religion, but if you realize that Christ himself has come into your life and has changed your heart and has given you a new heart and has put his spirit within you, your heart is changed now. The things you used to want, you don't want. The things you weren't interested in, you're now obsessed with. Your heart has changed and Christ is in you then you've passed the test. You know your heart has changed. Look at the next one. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. People, examine your faith, examine your heart. And when you do that, maybe instead of being aware of all your faults, all your failures, all the things that you feel bad about, maybe you'll realize that the reason you feel bad about those things is because deep in your heart, you don't want to be like that anymore. Your heart has changed. Maybe your mind hasn't caught up yet, and maybe your body hasn't caught up yet, but your heart has been changed. Look, 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 at, these, look at these questions here. Look at this next slide. Signs that our faith truly is saving faith include this. If you have truly put your trust in Christ, you will have a love for Jesus and a hatred for sin. Now, that doesn't mean you don't sin. Christians still sin. How many of you have sinned this week? Give me a little wave. Right, okay. There's three of you that haven't, apparently. But the rest of us have, right? Christians still sin. But you know what? See, before your heart has been born again, you sin and you enjoy sinning. See, after it's been born again, you sin and you hate sinning. You're angry with yourself. You're upset with yourself. There's no, there's a hatred for sin. And there's a love for Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus becomes more important. Now, that doesn't mean that you love him perfectly. Recently, I watched a video online. A pastor said, very often when people come to him and say, I'm doubting my salvation, he says to them, I've got three questions for you. Number one, do you love Jesus as much as Jesus deserves to be loved? No, no. He deserves all my love. Okay. Question two, do you love Jesus as much as you are personally capable of loving? No, I could love him a lot more. That's why I'm worried that I'm not saved. Okay. Question number three, do you have any love for Jesus at all in your heart? Yes, I love Jesus. That's why I'm worried that I might not be. If you've got any love for Jesus at all in your heart, it's only because you've been given a new heart. The old deceitful heart has been taken away and a new heart and a new spirit. The fact that you have any love for Jesus and are worried about the fact you don't love him enough, only a truly reborn person would even have that thought. A love for Jesus and a hatred for sin, a hunger for God's Word. Maybe you don't read it like you should, but you want to. You wish you would. An evidence of sanctification. Not, not I'm perfect, but this. This is the way it is. I'm not yet what I should be, but by God's grace, I'm no longer what I used to be. I am traveling in the right direction. Someone whose heart has truly been reborn is walking away. They're still entangled in sin and everything, but they're walking away from it and they're walking in the right direction. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit within gives you that assurance of salvation. And then, of course, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The desire 
to follow after Jesus, to hear His voice, and to follow after Him. Look, just have a look at that, church. Do you have a love for Jesus in your heart? Maybe it's not what it should be, but there's something there. When you sin, if you were to go out and sin, would it be like, oh, I hope no one in the church finds out this is going to be great? Or is it, oh my goodness, God knows everything. He knows my heart. Do, do, you, do you want, like, do you have a desire to know more about the things of God, to understand God, to understand His Word, to hear His voice, to spiritually grow? Are these all things that you desire? Maybe you don't have them yet. Maybe you're not fully experiencing them yet. But is there a desire in your heart for them? If there is, it is a sign of a reborn spirit. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and that your spirit has been made alive. And it's really important that you settle it once and for all. God is your Father, and He loves you with an everlasting love. And your sins, they've been washed away. Look what it says in 1 John here. Put up 1 John. It says, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven, not through what you've done, through Jesus. And you have come to know the Father. This verse is talking about full assurance of salvation. Do you know, when I was a young Christian, when I gave my life to Jesus, they gave me a little copy of Mark's Gospel, the Good News Bible. Good news from Mark, it was. And I read a chapter of Mark's Gospel every night. And in the back, it's 15 chapters long. It took me a couple of weeks. In the back of the book, there was a prayer, a prayer to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. And although I had prayed that prayer, and although I was now a Christian, for that first few weeks, I kept doubting my salvation. Did I really mean it? Did I really do it? I remember the, the very next day, the very next day I started a job in a new area, in a new restaurant I'd never worked in before. And it was in a part of the city I didn't know. And after the lunch uh, shift, I went out for a walk. I had no friends there. It was a new job, so I went out for a walk on my own, and I'm saying, am I really saved? I mean, I said that prayer last night, but did I really mean it? Has, has, can I feel anything? Has anything changed in my heart? And then I prayed, and I said, God, I just pray that if I'm really saved, just give me a sign. Will you give me a sign, I said, as I turned the corner, and there above a building was an illuminous sign, Christ died for your sins. Oh my goodness, these prayers get answered quick. I mean, I had no idea that things got answered that quick. But just to make sure, every night after I read my chapter of Mark's gospel, I went to the back and I said the prayer of salvation over and over and over again until one day I realized, God is my Father. My sins have been forgiven. And I want to tell you something, church. I have never in over 30 years, I've never doubted God's existence. People have said, do you ever doubt that God exists? No. That's like saying, do you doubt your wife exists? No, I happen to know her. And I happen to know him, okay? I have never doubted that God exists. I have never doubted that God loves me. And I have never doubted that my salvation is 
assured because it was purchased on the cross by Jesus Christ. The only person who could assure my salvation is the one who purchased my salvation. Now, I've doubted that I was going in the right direction in life. I've doubted that a certain prayer is going to be answered or things like that. But I have never doubted that God is there, that God loves me, that God is my Father, that Jesus has saved me, and I am eternally secure in His heart because I know for a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that one day I was one person with one heart, and the next day I was a brand new person with a brand new heart. All the sin that I wanted to do before, I didn't want to do now. And all the spiritual stuff that I wasn't interested in before, I was interested in now. My heart had been changed. I examined my faith and I had put my faith not in me and not in the church, but in Christ alone. I examined my heart and I realized that my heart had been changed. My desires had changed and it truly a work of regeneration had taken place in my heart. Let's just finish with the same verse we started with, 2 Peter. And it might look a little bit different to you now. And I'm going to say it in a positive tone of voice. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I believe you're my brothers and sisters. We're in the family. We've got the same father. Let's make every effort to get full confirmation in our life so that the enemy can never use doubts to sidetrack you. Get full confirmation, really confirm that you truly are, have been. You've heard the call to salvation. You've heard, I need to get saved. I need to put my life in God's hands. At some point in your life, you've heard the call and you've believed and accepted the gift and you know for sure you're among those God has chosen. You know that you're part of the family of God. I want to lead us in a prayer and I want us to remain seated for the first part of it. I'd like you to just close your eyes. I'd like you to put aside all other thoughts about what you're having for lunch and all of that stuff. Just put it all out your mind. And I want you to become aware of the presence of God all around you and deep within you. And let's say this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, O God, and know my thoughts. Reveal to me anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now just take a moment to still your mind and your heart. Listen to the still small voice of your conscience and intuition. 
Is there anything in your life you need to put right with God between you and Him? Just in the silence of your own heart and mind, pray right now, deal with it right now, put that issue right with God. And as we continue to pray, let's all stand together. I would encourage you to put your hands out or raise your hands. We're We're going to receive God's grace. It's only God's grace that changes us. So say this after me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Keep me in your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. God raised him from the dead. Therefore I am saved. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. Heaven is my home. The Holy Spirit is my guide. I will follow Jesus all the days of my life. So help me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. Let Him change your heart and fill you afresh, church.